the shock then. It was, I felt, you know, that when you feel sick to the stomach on hearing this news, because. A popular Punjabi singer is gunned down in India, where police are probing a Canadian gang link. Plus. I hope he's learning from his actions and um, hopefully very regretful of what he did. The victim's reaction after a charge is laid against a man accused in an alleged homophobic attack in Nanaimo. And. It's all GPS based, so when stuff like this happens, it's really easy to just kind of like pinpoint what's going on. The app that helped rescue crews find this injured mountain biker up on Mount Seymour. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A fatal shooting in India of a massively popular Punjabi rap artist and politician is having repercussions here in Canada. Controversial chart-topping performer Sidhu Musewala was gunned down this weekend, and as Kamil Karmali reports, Indian authorities are now investigating the possibility a gang in Canada was behind the attack. Shabdeep Singh Sidhu, known more commonly as Sidhu Musawala, made his rapid rise in the world of Punjabi rap while he lived in Canada. The 28-year-old gunned down Sunday in his home district in Punjab, India. His vehicle riddled with bullets. Musawala was transported to hospital where he died. Local authorities claiming a gang in Canada has taken responsibility for the shooting, calling it an inter-gang rivalry. Musawala rose to fame while living in Brampton, Ontario, attending Humber College as an international student, while creating a unique genre of Punjabi hip-hop. He changed uh, Punjabi music from singing and rapping, which was kind of unheard of. You know, you always had two different artists. His work caught the attention of record labels and other artists. Drake posting this tribute on his Instagram page. But his music didn't come without controversy. Musawala was criticized for glorifying the gangster lifestyle. Ticket sales to his Vancouver show in July were halted because organizers needed more time to address security concerns. When we started looking into this particular artist, we saw the situation in other Canadian cities and, and abroad, and that triggered that higher level of conversation that needed to be had. But fans and his Canadian friends remember him as a social justice advocate. Musawala had moved back from Brampton to India and wanted to pursue a life as a politician. He ran for Congress in Punjab earlier this year and lost. He was very headstrong on, on fighting this corrupt political system that he felt was very corrupt in, in India and, and wanted to change that. RCMP and police in Brampton say so far they've not been approached to take part in the investigation. Kamal Karamali, Global News. A young Nanaimo man has been charged in connection with an alleged house party attack on a university student earlier this year that RCMP say was initially investigated as a possible hate crime. Kristen Robinson has more. And up until like uh, literally a couple of days ago, I could still feel a big ball in my cheekbone. Spencer Fry's face is doing a lot better. This is my eye. But healing the hate, he says, left him looking like this still a work in progress it's like completely unacceptable and i don't it's horrible that um gay people have to be um aware of this at parties um 
just when they're just trying to have fun just like everybody else. Within minutes of arriving at a house party on Nanaimo's Old Slope Place on March 27th, the now former VIU student says someone hurled homophobic slurs at him before things escalated. A short boy taps on my shoulder and um, I, then I black out. Fry says he was punched in the head and thrown to the ground where others joined in the beating. There's bruising all right here down on my cheekbone. A 19-year-old later turned himself into RCMP. 19-year-old Ryan John Seaman now charged with one count of assault. I'm happy that he's being held accountable. I hope he's learning from his actions and um, hopefully very regretful. Nanaimo RCMP investigated the alleged attack as a possible hate crime. And Fry says he was clearly targeted for being gay. I think it should be charged as a hate crime. He also says he wished he left the party earlier. Don't brush something off your shoulder like I initially did when uh, they were putting hate speech towards me at the party. And is warning others to trust their gut. It's horrible to say, but always be aware. Always make sure you have friends close by. Kristen Robinson, Global News. In the Peace Region, emergency care services in Chetwind were suspended for 13 hours overnight amid a flood watch, heavy rain and some road closures. Parts of Highway 97 were underwater last night. Northern Health didn't explain why the Chetwind Hospital had to be put on a complete diversion, only saying it was necessary for patient care. People in need of emergency services were told to go to hospitals in either Dawson Creek or Fort St. John, both more than an hour away. A rainfall warning had been in effect throughout the piece. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell has more on the flood watch coming up. To the interior now, where staffing shortages are being blamed for today's closure of the Clearwater Emergency Department. As Grace Key reports, it's just the latest in a number of temporary shutdowns at the hospital department this month alone. It's yet another temporary emergency department closure at Dr. Helmkin Memorial Hospital in Clearwater. The 12-hour closure started at 9 a.m. Sunday, and so far, there have been five this month. You know, if I don't get a call on a Friday or a Saturday to tell me that there's a hospital um, closure, I'm shocked. In the event of an emergency, people are being advised to go to Royal Inland Hospital in Kamloops, more than an hour drive away. But right now, and I think why it's particularly bad the last few months, is that Royal Inland Hospital in Kamloops, which would share sort of the same employee pool as us being only 120 kilometres away, um, is in a crisis itself. I mean, its ER is seeing 40 to 50% staffing um, and in some of its wards even lower than that. A staffing shortage is to blame for closures at Clearwater. It's a similar story in other areas of the province. Port McNeil Hospital on Vancouver Island had a temporary emergency department closure over the weekend. On Friday, the health minister addressed some of the shortages facing Northern Health. In terms of nursing, which is a significant issue in Northern Health, as you know, uh, just uh, about a month ago, we added 602 new nursing spaces in BC uh, colleges and universities across the province. One of the things I'm most proud of is some of those positions are in the north. Because I believe part of the way of addressing uh, nursing issues in the north is to train more people who are from the north, who grew up in the north and want to continue to live in the north. I think this is a, a five or ten year problem um, for, for a lot of us. We may be able to attract some some doctors and nurses here and maybe draw some back out uh, of retirement into the workforce as temps or part-timers. But I really think this is an interior health 
uh, authority issue that they that needs to be focused on with uh, with all the power of the province and Interior Health looking at this. Clearwater does have some rental suites specifically available for temporary doctors and nurses, and the district is looking at buying housing to make it easier for healthcare workers to come here. Grace Key, Global News. Police in New Hazelton are asking for your help to locate a wanted man. RCMP say Kenton Fast is wanted for assault, failed to attend court, breach of probation and breach of a release order. They add the warrants for the 43-year-old originate in Smithers and Terrace, but it's believed he may be in the New Hazelton area. He's described as being 5 feet 10 inches tall with brown hair, blue eyes and may have a blonde goatee. If you spot him, do not confront him. Instead, call New Hazelton RCMP. A fire broke out at a high-rise apartment building in Kelowna early this morning. It started in a ninth-floor unit of the building in the 1400 block of St. Paul Street just after 3 a.m. Smoke was billowing into the hallway when firefighters arrived. Crews managed to confine the fire to the single unit, but several other apartments were damaged by water from both the sprinkler system and the firefighting efforts. No one was in the unit and the building was safely evacuated. The cause of the fire appears to be accidental. A Surrey woman is facing impaired driving charges in a horrific crash in Abbotsford one year ago. 23-year-old Anurit Dessange is accused of six counts of impaired driving causing bodily harm and three counts of dangerous driving causing bodily harm in connection with the May 2021 collision at Wacom and North Parallel Roads. Police allege the driver of a speeding westbound Honda Civic crossed into the oncoming lane and crashed head-on into a Volkswagen Jetta. The Jetta driver, a passenger and two small children were injured with the passenger still recovering from severe life-altering injuries. The front passenger of the Civic remains in hospital on a ventilator. Dessange is due in court on June 13th. A mountain biker who ran into trouble on Mount Seymour was saved Thanks to an app. I got this. Okay. You guys do the okay, Come on to your arms here. Yeah, I'm just going to put pressure on this arm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Ready? ready? Yeah. Two, three. Adele Anton injured her right shoulder and wrist while biking on the CBC Trail, which is very wet and slippery right now. She and her cycling partner were about 1,500 meters down the trail when District of North Vancouver firefighters reached them. Anton was stretchered out and her rescuers say an app helped them locate her quickly. Uh, everything's pretty slippery right now. It's been a wet spring, so pretty easy to crash. Hey! How would you ride? It was alright. <laughs> Despite that uh, feature, uh, yeah, it wasn't yeah, great. See how, how out I am for a while. <laughs> She's doing good. The guys did a good job packaging her. She calmed down pretty good. And the best thing they did was they were using you know trail forks or a GPS app that uh, helps us with patient location. It's an app. Uh, so trail forks it is just a really great thing. I don't know how much the subscription is. It's like 30 bucks. It's, it's infinitely worth it. It's for basically just like a database of like every trail network and everything that's like sanctioned and marked. It like tells you where all the features are. It rates it all by difficulty. Hi, Pat. When something like this happens, the mountain bikers say it's easy to pinpoint their location through that app. A UBC subcommittee is recommending an honorary degree conferred decades ago to a Catholic bishop of Prince George be rescinded. John Fergus O'Grady was granted an honorary doctor of laws in 1986. He was a principal at various Indian residential schools, including the Kamloops Indian Residential School in the 1940s. 
Following a review and consultations, the subcommittee is advising the Senate to rescind its approval of the degree to the late O'Grady, as well as conduct a historic reflection on its role in the subjugation of Indigenous peoples. A public consultation period is now underway. And coming up, Stanley Park survey. How the park board is appealing to the public for help tackling the transportation problem. And later, this Ukrainian mother, now in BC after fleeing the war in her home country, makes a chance encounter she calls a miracle. Many people have tried to enjoy a day at Stanley Park, particularly when the weather gets warmer. But for the past couple of years of this pandemic, accessing the landmark park has been a source of frustration due in part to the installation of a bike lane. And that now has the park board asking for your input. Paul Johnson reports. It's official. The park board says last weekend's vehicle traffic to Stanley Park was a record breaker. Though those caught in this epic jam probably didn't need a press release to tell them that. Vancouver's biggest and most prestigious open space is back to drawing the numbers worthy of its allure, amounting to a stress test for roads that had been reconfigured during the pandemic. More room for bikes, less for cars, and a new thing to have a debate about. The lane closure in Stanley Park has been a complete failure. It worked for a little while when we have the COVID restrictions, but to keep it restricted when COVID is no longer an issue for traveling in the park is unbelievably harsh to the people that just want to get in the park. So the park board has launched a new online survey to get data about how people get to and then move around in Stanley Park. It'll help them brainstorm ways to smooth the transition to what they say is going to be a less car-centric future. This is actually my first time here, and uh, it was it was actually pretty convenient. The, uh, taking the train was simple, the bus was pretty good, and yeah, the bike uh, rental was easy to locate, so it was pretty good. The situation Sunday was not near as bad as the long weekend, but vehicle traffic was still stop-and-go in places and frustrating for drivers. Our informal survey found if you're thinking in terms of max enjoyment, bikes win right now. Oh, we walked from our hotel. It's been great. I said to my husband, we wish we had it where we were from. We live in New West, so we took the SkyTrain. You can take the park board survey about Stanley Park through June 9th. Paul Johnson, Global News. It is fawning season and once again the BC Conservation Officer Service is warning the public to leave fawns alone. Every year conservation officers receive calls from well-intentioned people trying to rescue fawns they believe are orphaned. While they are cute and appear defenseless, it's common for does to leave their fawns alone for hours while they forage for food. Moving a fawn can result in it not being able to reunite with its mother and putting its survival in jeopardy. Taking a fawn is also illegal under the Wildlife Act and punishable by fines for unlawful possession of live wildlife. And still ahead, comforting a community. What residents want President Joe Biden to know as he visits the scene of America's latest mass shooting. Plus, a look at rising gun violence in Canada and how Ottawa plans to combat it.
The U.S. president is again visiting a community facing immeasurable grief. With Buffalo a fresh wound, Joe Biden has been spending the day in Uvalde, Texas, the site of America's latest and one of its most horrifying mass shootings. As Heather Urex West explains, anguish among residents is mixing with anger as demands grow not for empathy but action on gun control. The U.S. president's trip to Uvalde, Texas, marks the second time in just two weeks that he and his wife have had to comfort devastated families after a mass shooting. Joe and Jill Biden landed in Texas Sunday morning. They first stopped at Robb Elementary School, where a memorial to the 21 victims has been growing by the day. They laid flowers there before taking a moment at each photo. Fourth graders who had been finishing up the school year when the tragic shooting took place. From there, the president and first lady attended a mass at Sacred Heart Catholic Church, the same church attended by fourth grade teacher Irma Garcia, who died trying to save the kids in her class. Cindy Ochoa and Catherine Galinda Garcia are teachers from the nearby community of Cotula, Texas. They came to Uvalde to pay their respects to the teachers and students who died, but they say they are also angry and afraid that the next time it could be their classroom, their students. It's why they came here with a message for the president. I also don't want him to go home and to forget us because it's, it's really getting really bad. So I really want a gun reform to happen. We didn't sign on to get trained in weapons, to carry guns, and to act as human shields for our children. Families who are now planning funerals for the victims still have a lot of questions. It's why the Federal Department of Justice today announced it will be investigating the police's response to last Tuesday's shooting and why that response took so long. Heather Urix West, Global News, Uvalde, Texas. The lack of tighter gun controls may be a problem that's long plagued the U.S., but over the years, gun violence has been on the rise here in Canada as well, despite what already seems like tougher measures in this country to combat it. As Catherine Urquhart reports, more legislation may be on the way in Ottawa in the midst of growing calls to do more. Metro Vancouver police continue to deal with gang shootings, as do members of the Toronto Police Service. And in recent years, Canadians have witnessed large-scale tragedies. Shootings like this one in Maple Ridge, British Columbia, have become a regular occurrence in many parts of Canada, despite having tougher gun laws than in the United States. The problem is here, and it has been here for several years, I often comment the fact that the reason why we have such uh, a significant amount of gang violence given the Canadian culture here is the simple access to firearms. And the majority of those firearms are coming from the United States. A new Statistics Canada report shows firearm-related homicides jumped 11% from 2013 to 2020. The majority of those crimes involved handguns. New federal firearms legislation is expected to be introduced on Monday. I'm not going to preempt uh, what Minister Mendicino uh, um, uh, has in, 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 as a matter of cabinet confidence, uh, but I think, I think it's fair to say that this is on the top of the Prime Minister's agenda. It's Will new legislation make a difference? BC's former Solicitor General believes it could. This has worked for other countries such as Britain and Australia, where in fact they had a couple of serious incidents of mass shootings and they got in front of it and they showed that there was a reduction in this. A reduction in gun crimes would undoubtedly be welcomed by Canadians. 
but details of the legislation are yet to be released and would still face the parliamentary process before becoming law. Catherine Urquhart, Global News, Vancouver. As the war in Ukraine's east intensifies, today President Volodymyr Zelensky visited troops on the front lines in the Kharkiv region. The visit is the Ukraine president's first official appearance outside the Kyiv region since Russia began its full-scale invasion on February 24th. The area is littered with destroyed buildings and burned-out vehicles. According to Zelensky's chief of staff, 31% of the area is occupied by Russia and just 5% of the northeastern region has been taken back. And warm welcomes today as a second charter flight from Ukraine arrived in Canada. 306 Ukrainians and more than 20 animals fleeing the war in their homeland touched down at Montreal's International Airport today, flying out from Poland after being approved for emergency travel to Canada. A ceremony in Burnaby today commemorated the coming 33rd anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. More than a dozen people lay carnations at the Goddess of Democracy statue, the carnation symbolizing sorrow and regret. On the night of June 3rd, tanks and heavily armored troops advanced on students and their supporters protesting in the square. Within hours, the official death toll reached 241 people, although most authorities say the actual number of people killed is much higher. Since then, organizers in Canada have watched democracy further erode in China. We have to keep fighting and we have to keep this memory alive and to make sure our next generation we carry our torch to make sure the dictatorship won't happen again and to make sure the uh, CCP regimes will collapse. A walk and candlelight vigil are being planned for next weekend. Order of Canada recipient and music legend Ronnie Hawkins has passed away. Hawkins, seen here with the band, has died after a long illness. The news confirmed today by his wife, Wanda. Hawkins was born in Arkansas, but later moved to Canada after touring here in the 1950s. He received the Order of Canada in 2014. The singer of Who Do You Love and Ruby Baby, Hawkins was known for his vivacious personality and enthusiastic stage presence. He was 87 years old. And coming up, the B.C. city where a $10.9 million winning lotto ticket was sold. But first, the very canine-friendly event in the city raising funds for guide dogs in Vancouver. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. There was a big show of support in Vancouver this morning for dog guides and the people who rely on them. One, two, three. Dozens joining the Pet Value Walk for Dog Guides at Locarno Beach. The event raising funds for the Lions Foundation of Canada Dog Guides. The group provides Canadians living with disabilities a dog guide at no cost to them. Each dog guide costs about $35,000 to breed, raise, train and place. Funding is critical because these dogs are provided free of charge to people who need them and the training for these dogs is quite expensive. 
Port Coquitlam was alive with plenty of music and dancing as the BC Polish Festival makes a return. The festival is the largest in BC cancelled for the past two years during the height of the pandemic. Hundreds coming out to enjoy the wide assortment of traditional Polish food and beer. This year, dancers paying special tribute to those in Ukraine. In the program, we have uh, stuff which we always do, which is uh, Polonaise dance room, Polish dancers, Polish folk dancers. But this year, we, have, um, we also have Ukrainian dancers, so this is different. And they were really amazing, and we, uh, we invited them to show our solidarity with Ukraine, and, uh, and people were so happy to see them. Hmm. Special in so many ways as we bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell for a look at the forecast. I did see some wind blowing in some of the participants' hair there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but luckily it was dry for most areas, which is great news. We've got a bit of rain uh, to contend with for our Monday, but then in the long range, we've got a couple of days, uh, everyone, that we're going to see those temperatures on the rise. And I'll show you some of the warmest coming up in just a moment. We're currently sitting at 15 degrees. We've got a mainly cloudy sky, southwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. A few spots this evening will still see some isolated showers, but the bulk of the moisture is going to pick up. It'll be late tonight, overnight along the south coast. The island will be included within that, and we'll have a soggy start for our Monday morning, so a heads up and a touch cooler for tomorrow, and then a break on the way as we get past that. Now, we put the future cast into play, or rather, sorry, rainfall amounts. We'll go here first. Uh, heads up, we've seen that uh, rain taper off across the region, especially for the piece, but we still have a flood watch that is in effect for the Skeena. The high stream flow advisory remains. We've had that range. It has eased off through the day today, but we did have upwards of up to 70 millimeters for areas near Hudson Hope. And with the watch, we're concerned about the river levels still rising. They may exceed bankful. Flooding of areas adjacent to rivers may occur, so a heads up across that region. And we'll look for an update from the BC River Forecast Centre in towards our Monday. Now, overnight tonight is when we'll see the bulk of the rain for all areas across the south coast. On our future cache should taper off. We've got a fair bit of cloud cover through the afternoon, but a heads up and towards the interior. Lots of instability is going to pick up. We'll see the chance of showers and the risk of thunderstorms that will extend in towards the southeastern corners of the province as well. A weak ridge of high pressure is building in, and the two key days to keep in mind will be Tuesday, Wednesday. We've got that sunshine, and areas away from the water could get up to 24 and 24 de- 22 and 24 degrees. Rather, Haven't said that in a while, but the temperature is going to warm up on our Wednesday. So keep that in mind. It's going to be very brief, though, as the ridge starts to push its way towards the east, east rather, and then it'll cool off once again by the end of the week. Most areas, though, for the northern half of the province. Different weather story for tomorrow. It's pleasant. We've got some sunshine in the mix. Inland, even getting up to 24 degrees near Terrace. Just a 30% chance of an isolated shower across the central interior. And then much of the southern half will see that instability pick up. Afternoon and early evening will be into the low 20s. And a cooler day along the south coast with even Victoria just getting up to 14. Metro Vancouver will see that range between 13 into the Fraser Valley up to 16 degrees. Soggy start for our Monday morning should taper off drying out towards the afternoon and then we'll look ahead towards our Tuesday Wednesday some sunshine away from the water on Wednesday up to 24 degrees. Nithu? That'll be our lucky day. Thanks Yvonne. Speaking of which, somebody who purchased a lottery ticket in New Westminster has hit the multi-million dollar jackpot. The winning 649 lottery ticket worth $10.9 million was purchased somewhere in the Royal City last night. It's the only ticket in Canada that matched all six winning numbers. Odds of winning a 649 jackpot are 1 in 14 million. Around New Westminster, the city is buzzing with people dreaming up what they'd do with the cash.
Well, I'd go to school and get myself a good education, and I'd probably follow my dream of uh, being a uh, being an addictions an addictions worker. <laughs> I'll buy a house yeah. and definitely have uh, like uh, ten dogs, like rescue dogs. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. I'm Yeah. <laughs> How old is it? You do the same? Yeah, something? to invest kind of that, so that oh, I don't yeah. need to work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but mostly that, yeah. Yep. I'd put my son aside a college fund, buy a house for us. Aw. So many great ideas there. It's nice to dream. Yes, exactly. Lotteries are great. <laughs> well, yes, Barry. <laughs> speaking of which, a lot of people placing their bets on what happens in sports. What do you have coming up for us in today's cast? Well, it was uh, it was a great day. If you were a tennis fan, today was outstanding. Uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime played uh, probably the match of the tournament against the legendary Rafa Nadal at the French Open. Now, Felix didn't win, but he came close. Five sets. Four and a half hours of uh, just amazing tennis. One of those legendary matches that Nadal has played at Roland Garros. We have lots of highlights of that. Leila Annie Fernandez did win. She's into the quarters. And a bit of a controversial, heartbreaking loss for Canada for gold at the World Hockey Championships That as well. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. Also ahead, reflections on residential schools. A BC Indigenous leader's perspective on the past year and honoring the children who never made it home. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team, and let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. More reflection tonight from a First Nation chief a year after the detection of at least 200 potential unmarked burials on the grounds of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School was announced. It spurred on work already being conducted at a number of similar institutions across the country attempting to find remains of children who never returned home. Our report is from CKPG News. It's already been a year. It's, uh, honestly, it seems like yesterday. It's still so fresh in everyone's mind, and it's being pushed forward more and more. I think that, that there are over 8,000 kids found across Canada, and it's, I can't believe it's been a year. A day that Chief Logan will never forget. Like, it feels like yesterday. There's so much going on around it still. Memorials of children's shoes and stuffed toys started to pop up all over Canada, along with more unmarked graves of children who never made it home. Chief Logan says if there was one good thing that has come out of this horrific event, is that after all this time, Indigenous voices are finally being heard. The world wants to know. The world wants to know about First Nations. And here in Prince George, it's First Nations open arms. Right, that, that they're just, they're wanting to know more about the First Nations. How long have we been in, they're asking us how long we've been in Prince George. Like, so, and the community out there wants to know. Chief Logan also commented on the Prime Minister's appearance at the anniversary ceremony. What can I say? It took him a year to show up. And the planned Canadian visit from the Pope. He should be coming to Canada, coming to, Cam to Kamloops, visiting the site, and apologizing or even attempt to apologize on behalf of the church. In the past year has drastically changed in the city of Prince George. And it's, it's, it's a pretty proud time to be Clayton today and 
be involved with the city of Prince George. Randy Marie Adams, CKPG News. We know these stories may be difficult for our viewers and there is support available for survivors and their families. The number is toll free and 24 hours a day and you can speak in confidence. It is 1-800-721-0066. Still ahead, a mother's miracle meetup. How an airport encounter changed the course for this Ukrainian refugee who's fled to BC. Planted Expo is back at the Vancouver Convention Center. On June 4th and 5th, don't miss Canada's largest event dedicated to all things plant-based. Whether you follow a plant-based diet, health-conscious or eco-conscious, bring the family to discover and sample 200 innovative food, fashion and home product brands. Celebrate local seafood during the Steveston Spot Prawn and Seafood Celebration. Meet the returning boats at Fisherman's Wharf to purchase the catch of the day, learn recipes from professional chefs and dine out at the participating restaurants in Richmond. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, he won't sing his intro, but Barry's here for the full sports cast. And I was in the bathtub. <laughs> he just did it during commercial break. I don't break, bathe but... a whole lot, though. I gotta, <laughs> gotta admit that. <laughs> Starting off in the world of tennis. Baby. Yes, yes. Was, uh, <laughs> if you love tennis, you're going to love this. Thanks so much, Nithu. Uh, Felix Ogier-Eliasim is uh, no doubt one of the best players in tennis right now, just at age 21. He's not quite at the Djokovic-Federer-Nadal level yet, but he is getting closer. And today in Paris, Ogier-Eliasim gave the 13-time French Open champion Nadal all he could handle, just falling short of handing Rafa a rare loss on the red clay at Roland Garros. Felix with his uh, work cut out for him. Rafa with a 108 wins, three losses record at the French. 97% success rate. Rafa's Uncle Tony on the right coached Nadal for many years. Now Felix's coach took this one in, but not in the coach's box. Uncle Tony said he was neutral for this matchup. Felix came out with his A game. Check out this exchange at the net. Felix with the ridiculous backhand overhead for the winner took the opening set 6-3. Even Rafa applauds that effort. Nadal started to take over mid-second set, which he won 6-3, dominated the third, pounding the winner, uh, took that set 6-2. So Felix reeling a bit in trouble, but the 21-year-old showed a lot of fight. Digs in, gets an early break in the fourth, crafts the point, and hammers the forehand winner. Felix really showed his all-around game today. Rafa makes you work for every point. He matched Rafa in all areas, including work. Nice hands here as well for the volley winner. And then a beautiful drop shot winner for Felix as he takes the fourth set, six games to three, only the fourth player ever to take Rafa Nadal to a fifth set at Roland Garros. The bad news is Nadal has never lost a five-setter at the French, and on cue, Rafa will smash the passing shot winner but it remained on serve in the deciding set. But this game was just rife with great shots. These two had the crowd ooing and eyeing all match long. Great exchange. Finished off here by Felix with the uh, reflex volley. 
May have been off the racket frame, but uh, he will take it. Still on serve mid-set. But as the great ones do, Rafa took it up a notch at crunch time. He may be 35, has a troublesome foot, but check out the play here. The speed, no business winning this point, but he does. And he breaks Felix to go up 5-3. And more brilliance on match point. Both of these guys running down everything, but Nadal will put it away to end an epic battle. Four hours, 21 minutes, five sets of pure entertainment. Felix did himself proud, took some positive steps forward today despite the loss. Rafa moves on to the quarters where he will meet number one Novak Djokovic, and that should be special too. Earlier on the women's side, Montreal's Leila Annie Fernandez taking on American Amanda Anisimova. Leila roared out of the gates in this one. Guesses right. On the passing shot here, little reflex uh, volley winner there, jumped out for Love, won the opening set quite handily, 6-3. But Anisimova turned the tables in the second. She was pounding winners left and right. When she gets in a rhythm, she's hard to beat. Hammers the return winner, took the set 6-4, truthfully started to dominate the match. But Layla Annie is a fighter, and she just willed her way back into the match, a lot like we saw at the U.S. Open in New York last fall. Hits the return winner, gets the break to go up 3-2. And then more from Lena, now serving, gets a bad bounce off the clay, but adjusts and still smacks the winner to go up 5-3. Such determination. One of the smaller players on the WTA, but one of the biggest hearts. And another return winner here. And Leila Annie Fernandez is off to the quarterfinals of the French for the first time ever. A three-set victory. She'll play in the quarters on Tuesday. Gold medal game, World Hockey Championships, Canada and Finland. Rematch Blasters gold medal game won by Canada in overtime. But the Finns, the hosts this year. No scoring until the second. Canada on the power play, Matt Barzell. Beautiful seam pass to Dylan Cousins, who fires it in. First power play goal surrendered by the Finns this tournament. one nothing Canada after two. Third period penalty trouble for Canada, but also the victims of a bad call. Cole Sillinger called for a high stick. One problem, the Finnish player hit himself with his own stick. Replays proved it, but the penalty stood. Canada down two men, and just moments after that, Michael Granlin fires in the rebound to tie it. And to make matters worse, on the play, Canadian goalie Chris Dreger uh, injures himself. So Matt Tomkins Tomsken, uh, goes in cold, hasn't played a minute in the tournament. Did play for Canada at the Olympics. He plays in the Swedish Elite League. Still on the power play, Granlund will beat Tomkins uh, top shelf. Thompson rather 2-1 Finns. They went ahead 3-1, but like they did against the Swedes, Canada rallied late. Extra attacker, Barzell sweep pass to Zach Whitecloud. He goes top shelf, 3-2 with just two minutes to go. And 48 seconds later, Barzell with another fantastic setup. Third assist of the game to Mac Comtois of the Ducks, 3-3. And Canada has done it again. We need overtime. In OT, another controversial penalty call. This one to Captain Thomas Shabbat. Pretty uh, dodgy for overtime of a gold medal game, especially considering the blown call in the third. And on the ensuing power play, Sakari Mananen fires in the golden goal. And Finland win it 4-3 in overtime. Canada settling for a bitter silver in Tampere, Finland today. Jays and Angels from Anaheim. Jays going for the four-game sweep. Toronto had a four-run third inning. Raymel Tapia bouncing one up the middle and got a break there. Hits the bag and goes through. Two runs scored. The Jays led... 6-2, to two, but plenty of runs were required for victory today. It was a rough start for Jays' ace, 
Jose Barrios. Shohei Otani cracks a mammoth two-run shot to center. Second homer of the game for Otani, 6-4. It was a wild game. The Angels were up 9-6 and then 10-9. But Bo Bichette takes former teammate Ryan Tapera out of the yard. A solo shot is seventh, so we're 10-10. And later in the inning, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. already with four RBI, doubles to right, scores Alejandro Kirk. Fifth RBI of the day for Gurriel, and the Jays win at 11-10. They've won five in a row, nine and three in their last 12. They are back in the wild card spot in the American League. Formula One, Monaco Grand Prix was a wet one. Lengthy delay of 70 minutes, downpour just prior to the start of the race. Ferrari's Charles Leclerc starting from the pole, but an extra tire change early in the race. Bit of a mistake by his pit crew, a cost him the lead for good. He was fourth. Race red flag when Mick Schumacher lost control. His car snapped in half, but Schumacher amazingly okay. It was just a formality after that. Sergio Perez cruises to his third Formula One victory. First North American driver to win in Monaco since Gilles Villeneuve in 1981. Carlos Sainz Jr. second, Max Verstappen third. Canadians Lance Stroll 14th and Nick Latifi was 15th. In the 500 from the old brickyard, there are the bricks. Five laps to go. Jimmy Johnson in his first Indy blows a tire. And so the caution flag comes out. The race red flag, which means they stop it. So it uh, ends up being a two-lap shootout for the victory by the time they resumed racing. Sweden's Marcus Eriksson had the lead when the race was stopped. He starts at the front, holds off Pato O'Ward, who tried desperately to pass but couldn't pull it off. And Marcus Erickson, second Swede to ever win the Indy. The other was Kenny Brack as Erickson gets the customary bottle of milk in the winner's circle. PGA Tour stop in Dallas at Colonial Charles Schwab Challenge. Sam Burns put up a terrific round, 565. He was done about 90 minutes ahead of the final group, posted 9 under. World number one Scotty Scheffler had to make a clutch par save here at 17 to a stay at minus nine, he would finish there. So he and Burns head to a playoff. And on the first playoff hole, Burns' approach is a bit long. So he's putting from off the green. But it's an absolutely perfect read as he curls it in for the birdie. And the victory, his third win of the season, his good friend Scheffler is the only one with more wins. He's got four. Adam Svensson was tied 40th. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford, 48th. And NBA playoffs, Game 7, Eastern Conference Finals on right now. Heat and Celtics from Miami. Heat won on the road in Game 6 to force the decider. The road team hot again tonight. Jason Tatum with the three. Boston 32-17 after one. Second quarter, Celts staying aggressive. Jalen Brown blows by Kyle Lowry, lays it in. Lowry not at full mobility with a troublesome hamstring. He's trying to get back to the NBA Finals uh, for the first time since he did it with the Raptors, of course, in 2019. Tyler Harrow back in the lineup tonight for the Heat. Nice feed to Bam Adebayo for the lay-in and the foul. But uh, the Heat having trouble scoring points right now. They're down 53-38. And the winner of this series plays Golden State in the NBA Finals starting next Thursday. That's it for sports. High pressure there. All right, thanks very much. We'll be right back with the inspiring story of how a Ukrainian refugee's airport encounter altered her course. Stay with us. Chance encounters may seem random, but for a pregnant Ukrainian refugee escaping to B.C. meeting a Vancouver man at the airport appears just meant to be. Here's Jay Durant with This is B.C.
Twice a day, Elena is chatting with her daughters Lisa and Katya, who are staying with family in Prague. We miss you so much, dear mother, and we love you. A chance for the family to stay connected and for the girls to see their new baby brother Richard, who was born in Vancouver just over a month ago. To see and finally touch his face, and oh, it's like so exciting. Olena wasn't going to deal with the wait times for newborn documents in the Czech Republic. She booked a flight to BC to stay with a distant contact. But things changed when she met a Vancouver man at the airport. She told me, you know, she said, you know, don't tell the airline, but I'm eight and a half months pregnant and I, I need to get to Canada to have my baby. Peter Lukomsky, whose parents are Ukrainian, was returning home after traveling there to help in the earlier stages of the Russian invasion, buying luggage for refugees and providing transportation at the Polish border. Well, yesterday we helped four families get to their destinations. Now, with Olena staying at his house, they've created a delivery network, getting food to many neglected villages that are in desperate need. All the markets destroyed, all grocery shops destroyed. That is why uh, they really need help. Through Peter's fundraising, Olena's colleagues back home are buying supplies at bulk food stores, packaging them up with the message help from Canada and delivering them to town squares. These were villages where, you know, people had uh, had really lost uh, almost everything they had. Olena, Richard and her husband, who came to Vancouver in time for the birth, will be traveling to Prague to reunite the family with plans to one day return home to Ukraine. But for now, everyone is safe and Peter is now Richard's godfather. I'm really honored to be part of their family in a, in a symbolic way. It's like a miracle and for my family also. I think this story... Unbelievable, really unbelievable. Talk in the morning. Have a nice night. Jay Durant, Global News. And Jay is always looking for a great story to tell about BC. If you have an idea, you can email it to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And before we close out the show tonight, we want to wish an on-air goodbye to our director who's been in our ear throughout this show and no. who's been with us for almost a decade, Mel Carter, moving on to a new opportunity. We appreciate you, we love you, and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you for always being there for us, Mel. And thank you all so much for sharing some of your weekend with us. Have a great night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.